The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two of my fantastic co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week, we are doing a bit of a playdate update. Uh, we are, uh, it's been almost, it blew my mind when I looked at this. I had to look up the dates, and it has been like darn near two years since the playdate came out. And since we did our first episode on it, it's been quite a while. When we recorded our first episode, and so far only episode about the playdate, um, it was still pretty new. It was just hitting people's hands. Um, none of us had received all of the 12 weeks worth of games of the playdate season one. Um, and so there's a number of season one games that have honestly been sitting on our various playdates for well over a year now. So there's some games for us to talk about there. But there's, there's also, in the intervening time, been a lot of updates to the playdate. Things like they've launched their official catalog store where you can download games directly on your playdate. So there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about. Um, I still have my playdate. I still play it somewhat frequently and in fact honestly i've been playing it more over the last few months than i had uh for for months before that so it seemed like maybe it was time for us to you know dust off our play dates if they have indeed gotten a little dusty and uh, and talk about this weird little yellow console with a crank yeah this thing remains a just a delightful curiosity um people will probably remember that this was made by a collaboration between panic and teenage engineering and both of those two groups have been um, always fun to watch panic has only recently announced a game i'm very excited for uh, called big walk that's coming with them uh, between them and house house who did uh, what was it house house did the, uh, goose, uh, goose game, game yeah goose game that's right well they were also goose game yep yeah. and um <clears throat> big walk looks like uh, I've only seen some clips of it, but it looks kind of like a cross between, um, I don't know, uh, what's, what does it look, have you guys seen this? What does it look like to you? I've it seen a trailer and odd. I found it pretty confusing. It seems kind of like a, like a massively multiplayer, like, I don't know, hiking game where you all play as weird little, like low poly duck yeah. looking guys. Looks like, looks like a short hike meets, um, I don't know. These 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 odd creatures look very Katamari to me, but yeah, uh, in a very it. realistic world. It's a it's a cool looking game and I, it just has my interest peaked. It says coming 2025 though, so I know I've got a bit of a wait. And then Teenage Engineering has continued to put out bizarre and interesting hardware. Um most recently, they were big in the news for having made this thing that very much looked like a play date to me. Did you see mm -hmm. the thing about, I think it's called the rabbit AI yeah. companion. It's like, it's and, like, what and it's if... like, it's just going to keep, what does it do? We don't know. It'll just keep yeah. learning. It could do yeah. everything eventually. 
Yeah, it it's a Tamagotchi that can do everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it and yeah, it has it's a, a camera. Weird thing. Uh, it, it's it seems like the big pitch for that thing. Not to turn this into a tech podcast, but it does seem like the weird the big pitch for that thing is like it's got a camera. It connects to a cloud based AI service. It can look through the camera, and you can talk to it about what you and it are seeing. Um, and that's a clever idea, and could potentially have some interesting use cases. Um, mm-hmm. I could see it maybe being a cool accessibility thing, but uh, the yeah. the videos I've seen of it actually in operation, just the the speed is just it's really slow. Like I saw somebody like pointed at a bunch of cheese and be like, "How should I serve this?" And it was just it looked it took like fifteen seconds to be like, "You could do a cheese board," and I'm like, "Man, come on!" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks cool. I mean, it's it's obviously like when you look into the specs of this thing, it's clearly not capable of running a large language model or you know anything approaching that on its own so it must be going to the cloud for it but it doesn't have uh it it only it only has wi-fi so this is a device for you to use at home but it's pocket size or i guess at the office but it's pocket sized and i don't know it just seems uh, delightfully um insane uh like most it's, of the a, it's a smartphone app in a plastic box is a thing i don't understand yeah. why this you know needs to be a, a separate physical device from your smartphone this this seems like a smartphone feature and like the play date it has a crank it, it has it yeah, has essentially it it has a, a little like it has thumb little, wheel thing yeah a thumb wheel um and i i just love how optimistic uh they are in pitching this it says a device for doing almost anything <laughs> yes yes it does and it, it they, they seem to have a, a a really i mean i'm i'm very very covetous of a lot of teenage engineering products um in particular as a as a podcaster and audio lover they have this um just absurdly expensive portable audio recorder i'm gonna f- try and find that and share that with you guys have, have you seen this thing I have. I also covet it deeply. Oh. It's just a ridiculous, beautiful object. It costs like two grand or something like that. It's a. It's very, very, very. But it has a little dial that spins while you record, and then if you, mm. if you want to listen back, you can like spin the little spinny spinner. <laughs> I guess I'm a sucker for teenage engineering things with a spinny spinner on them. That's all um, you want. Mm-hmm. That's all you want these days. They are incredible. Even- and yeah, yeah. The, and from that perspective, like the, the hardware of the Playdate has held up for me. Like I know like some sometimes I buy little like random game objects, controllers, weird handhelds, stuff like that. And I, I, I play with them for a while and then ultimately they end up collecting dust. I go back to touch them later and they feel subtly broken in, a, in an inexplicable way. Like this is just a common experience. I think folks who, you know, buy a lot of game crap probably have. Um, but the playdate has not felt that way for me. Like it feels as like wow, fresh. What a cool little gadget that uh, that it, that it did like two years ago when I got it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm not gonna say that it's like my favorite game hardware ever or anything. But like as a small object that sparks joy, it continues to do that two years on, and that's saying something pretty pretty solid for it. I think with my one bedroom shared with another human lifestyle, the playdate can't be played as often as I'd like because of the lack of backlit. And Mm -hmm. it got kind of, um, I made a joke, I think on the first episode that it makes a nice clock. It makes a great clock because you can set it to do things like say, 
it's 20 past 10 or it's a quarter past 10 on Thursday, January 25th. I love that. That's the clock mode that I use as well. It, the little and speech bubble that says the says the time, date and time in, in plain speech. I love that. And it's yellow and cheery and I love looking at it and I have it next to my um, my also bright yellow picture a day calendar. Oh, that's very um, cute looking. It is very cute looking. So it's with my yellow, my little yellow clock and my little yellow picture a day calendar go next to each other. Uh, but I don't pick it up to play it as often because of the backlit. But I, I think I use it as almost like a fidget toy. It's very good. I haven't played um, as many of the long term games. I'm still like catching penguins and going through circle mazes, which I'll talk about today. When I have had time to do things that are a little less of the Wario minigame thing, I've enjoyed it. But for me, it's been, if I'm looking for a longer play session, I'm picking up the Miu uh, mini instead if I need a handhold long, like if I'm going on a bus or a train because I can't rely on lighting. Mm. And I, so I, you know. I've been kind of surprised because you're, that you're totally not alone. Like the the thing that people complain about with the play date is that it's not a backlit screen, and you know that makes it hard to play. And you know some people just say, "Hey, I can't play this in my house." I end up tilting it quite a bit so yeah. it catches the light better, and and it's almost like a not ergonomic tilt. Like I don't hold it flat like I hold other devices. I tilt it past forty five degrees so it catches mm-hmm. the most light from the overhead. I, I think this is just going to be something that like literally depends on your home. Um, mm-hmm. I I have been shocked at how much of that feedback I've heard because like I can use I'm not this is not not me doing like a weird humble brag about the lighting in my house. It's just that like my house is pretty bright, pretty brightly lit. I have lots of ceiling lights in every room can light type of things. Um, and so like I can use the play date in every room in my house in almost every angle. And I've just never had any problems with it. And so when I hear people complain about it, I'm like, well, yes. wow, what kind of cave are you living in? And then I, and then I get on a podcast. Well, again, like, I play Shane portable devices <laughs> in transit and yeah, port like buses, well, transit subways, for you is underground subways, right. not known for their great lighting. Yeah. The-, <laughs> the debate has gone on TikTok for a while. In fact, it's not even a debate if you look on TikTok. Uh, the there there was a TikTok that went viral uh, a while ago that said something along the lines of, "I don't have many rules for my house, but I do have one, and that is that we never, ever, ever, ever use the big light." Yeah. <laughs> and oh, that's the, the um, Landon talks. The Southern influencer was like, "Big light or lots of small lights? You have an opinion." Yes. And TikTok, and I think, you know, a, a lot of people have, have latched onto this idea that, you know, it's, uh, it is a sin to turn on the big light. And um, if, if anyone agrees with that, it is my wife. We spent thousands of dollars redoing the lighting in our living room, um, and she will never turn any of it on. <laughs> so, no, she, she, actually, she actually approved a plan to put in um just a raft of can lights and a gigantic uh dome light in the ceiling fan and the first thing she does when she walks into the living room is to turn all of those off and to turn on the lamps <laughs> this is so weird to our me our mutual friend Jennifer came to my apartment and i we were just using natural lighting cuz there's a huge window um and i turned on the overhead light to um like, cause we were about to do the projector and I was pulling it down and showing her like the dimmer. And she was like, Oh, you got to get some lamps in here. And I was like, uh-huh. I literally have like her first thing. 
guest to the house was like, ooh, you turned it overhead light on. You've done something wrong. Y'all so weird, man. Like, I don't understand this, man. Like, I... Uh, I go into it if like if my house is too dim, I feel claustrophobic. Like I need light. I need a bright space. And you know, ideally that's like natural light drifting in in beautiful shafts from a window. But like I love I just I just absolutely love you saying you're claustrophobic when you have more living space than anyone else on this podcast. <laughs> you are out in the suburb <laughs> with 25-foot ceilings and an enclosed porch. And like yeah. Laura is in a literal shoebox. Well, <laughs> to, to, for for listeners who can't see behind me, because we are recording um, at you know it's almost ten thirty p.m. and I'm trying to make sure I can go to bed afterwards. I have blackout curtains drawn, and I am not using the overhead light so that when I go to I, I'm not going from full brightness recording into a pit. So I am sitting in a dark cave, as far as my coworkers know. Mm-hmm. Um, there. There, there are lights in New York. I just don't have them on at the moment. Mm. Um, anyway, well, t- if I, I, I cannot see the play date at my desk right now. Yes. And so I keep alternating my uh, laptop lights to see the screen to reference it during the game. Um, yeah. And that's not the play date's fault. I just know that like in this, if I'm ready for bed, I can't play the play date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people I think have this response to this. We're like, "Well, man, this is a deal killer for me, and I I'll just wait for Playdate two, which will surely be color and and uh, backlit." Which I like. I don't think is true. Like, I, I think the, the know, chances of happening. I don't think, of, of, I don't I don't think it's ever happening. Um, never happening. And like to me, like the the screen, like I, mean, I know we talked about this on the first it's two years ago. Um, the screen for the Playdate is. It's a lot like to me, like the the screen for something like a Kindle. Like, it, of course, it's, you know, some Kindle, you know, many Kindles are like backlit, but like my Kindle is backlit. <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay, but like for me, it's it's like it, it's such a revolutionary looking screen to me. Like, it's a it's it is beautiful, unbelievable, screen. cool screen. And so, like, yes, it does have. When some I play it before three p.m. Like in the winter, this. it is a beautiful screen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really tempted to get one of those clip on book lights for the thing. I literally did do that a couple of days ago. This is not a game changer. I'm just explaining like, so the play date is a fidget game player because the mm-hmm. I tend to do most of my game playing in the evenings and I like it to be cozy. And the play date due to the lighting is not suited for cozy environments. So I play it a lot during the day, like during like breaks from work or like lunch breaks when it is nice and bright and well lit. I do not play long gaming sessions and that's just kind of my lifestyle. Yours will vary, but my, my reviews will be mostly on the mini games because of the backlit factor. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of fidgets and mini games and TikTok, I will just jump yes. right in here because, um, I want to wholeheartedly recommend root bear by Team root. <laughs> um, Tell me root about root bear. bear. I've not played well, this. First off root bear is really, it's, it's a, easy game to get into it's just like three bucks on the playdate store this is their new uh catalog store um and in this game uh you are the root bear serving bears their root beer and uh this is if you remember the game uh root beer tapper um Mm -hmm. it's slightly like that a little bit um but not not so much it's uh there's a it uses the uh, the crank as the handle for a root beer tap and bears will come up to the bar um, and will have a variety of different glasses 
uh, and they'll point on the glass to how high they want their glass to be filled up. Oh, that's and, delightful. Um, and you will pour and it, it kind of simulates the kind of foamy head of the beer that's being poured. Um, but the real draw of this game, uh, by the way, it is, it, these bears are, um, extremely precise in how much root beer they want. <laughs> and, uh, the, the art for this game is the real draw because the, the bears get, uh, you know, when they walk up and they tell you how much beer they want, they're very, they're very relaxed looking, but the instant you start pouring, um, they have just lethal levels of stress crossing their faces. <laughs> um, and if you, it's like um, Ren and Stippy stressed. Yes. And, and if, if you overflow a glass, uh, they will, uh, they will have like a, a Junji Ito level horror face that they like <laughs> freak out. <laughs> this game kind of went viral on TikTok for a while, uh, just because it's a really, really, it's basically, it's a mini game. Um, but, it is just delightful and you could kind of put it in anyone's hands and they'll instantly understand the interaction with the crank. Uh, they'll laugh uh, at the, at the insane faces of the bears uh, when you can get the perfect pour and the bears just sort of uh, glow with pleasure at the perfect pour. It's a, it's a fantastic moment in gaming. Uh, so I do recommend root bear. You know, just to, to backtrack a second, like this, the first game you're mentioning here, perfect transition, Shane, and, and that game is amazing. Um, but this is the first catalog game we've talked about. Um, so we we have a few games to talk about that are the sort of the the remainder of season one, uh, which we you know we were in the middle of. Uh, if you if folks remember who maybe uh, aren't Playdate people, um, you know the the, the Playdate comes with a season of games, which is their sort of like 24 game, 12 week, like, you know, drops mm. where you get games just popping up on your play date. I fully expected them to just drop season two by now, but the catalog came along instead, which was a little surprising. And I, I found this. myself, I kind of prefer this, but I also, um, I don't know where, how you would have priced the catalog, but I was surprised by some of the pricing on some of these games. I, I did not expect there to be like, 12 to $13 to $15 games uh, on the play date. I guess that's that's me. Inflation. I, I also was expecting like early days of iOS store where like the max would be like $6. I mean, that is that was just because of the size of games in the catalog had kind of primed me for that. And um, that is probably unfair but i think it was i just was a little i was also surprised at the range of pricing because it went from like you know root beer was three dollars um i think also that that is probably because the type of game i'm looking for feels like i'm looking for the lighter snackier things yeah it's um, interesting I was there's surprised. kind of like a, a spread it seems like um people are sort of starting to crystallize around pricing like they did in you know in the early days of iOS and it seems like there's sort of kind of two tiers you know there's there's games that are uh like these smaller things like Root Bear or Yoyozo which I can talk about a little bit later you know these sort of smaller arcadey little mini game things and these have sort of gelled around the like 3 to 5 buck priced range and then there are games in the like eight to $12 price range that tend to be seemingly more kind of full game type games um, that have a little more going on or a little more complete. Um, 
I think those prices are fine. They're pretty reasonable. I have uh, yeah. I, I can talk about a several like ten dollar games uh, from the catalog store on here where I'm like, man, if this game was on Steam for ten dollars, it would also be a deal like totally fine. So I, I haven't had any like, you know, shock at the the pricing. I think actually they've been the the, the pricing has settled down to be a pretty, pretty um, you know, within what I would have expected. The, the one that has held me off. I looked at a game called P Racing which, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it stood out to me because on their like staff picks list, they said that P racing is a pinnacle of technical achievement on the play date, which of course I want to see that. Um, and when they say the pinnacle of technical achievement on something that, uh, pretty underpowered, basically it looks kind of like a SNES racing game, right? It has, mm-hmm. Um, kind of a nice mode seven tilted track and and some other cars and stuff that you can see. Um, that's cool. But is that something that I want to spend $12 to experience? I, I couldn't really justify that to myself. I think the main thing keeping me from buying more stuff in the catalog is that there are so many season one games I have not touched. And mm-hmm. so yeah. because I got so many games out of the gate, it feels kind of like, uh, trying to buy an, another like Nintendo cartridge and I look at like my full little stack and I'm like, oh yes, I never beat Captain Toad's treasure tracker. <laughs> like I'm like, do I need to buy a new one? Like I, I, I feel like that it's that like the backlog of games is almost more visible on the play date because you got to scroll through all of season one <laughs> to get to the catalog. So yeah. you're like consciously not playing the games you've paid for to go spend money. And I think it's literally the scrolling down to the catalog that got me a little like hesitant. It's it you're it's not as much of the price. It's just literally I, I like totally get that. The guilt, Although, the cue. <laughs> something that's been interesting to me about it is like that that um you know the season 1 games were all because of the way that the season model worked developed on test hardware before playdates were in people's hands. And some of the games that have come out in the catalog store, they just feel different than the stuff that came out during, you know, there's a few really advanced and interesting games in season one. Uh, uh, but like, there's some games in the catalog that I'm just like, truly impressed with. Um, so it's a kind of a different like, I I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, I, I have games in my backlog from season one that I've been meaning to play or meaning to play more of. Uh, for now, like two years, which is a bit of a, a pain. Um, but like, I'm still, I'm still buying about a game a week on the play date, which is, you know, probably not great, but that's a like, lot more than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you I'm know, that, that, I would say that's, I, I, that ramped up a little bit recently. I don't know why, but, but, um, maybe, well, let's, let's... maybe one game quarterly or, or, uh, semi-annually, uh, so far. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not so, putting a lot of money and time into this device these days, I guess. Yeah, I, it's been a little bit interesting for me in that like the, the plate has filled a, a niche that I uh, kind of only sort of knew that I n- needed to fill, um, which is that like, I, I don't know if you guys will empathize with this. I have this like weird anxiety whenever I leave the house that I, I'm like deathly afraid of being bored, like being someplace and being bored. Maybe this is from, you know, the uh, the the like uh, the pain of being a child and realizing that like, you know, I'm going to be someplace that my parents have dragged me and I'm going to be bored for the next hour or whatever. And so I have this like weird. Does that even happen also, to kids these days? 
I don't think it does. And honestly, I have a smartphone in my pocket. Like this is this is an absurd concern, right? There's literally mm. no no reason for anyone to ever feel this in 2024. And yet I do. Walking out the door, I'm like, have I prepared for the eventuality of me being stranded somewhere and needing something to do for eight hours? And so I like to I like to have something in my pocket. Like I like to bring myself a little toy, you know? I do have pictures of my coworker playing their play date on a bench in Paris. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're in Paris. Like and they said, Oh, I mean, I you know, my partner was reading and I decided the play date was how I wanted to spend my time. It's like, where yeah. were you sitting? I was like, look around you. <laughs> you know what? I think it's totally fair. But um, but I mean there I brought, are different I brought mine types to of- uh there are beautiful. There are so many types of people in the world, and mm-hmm. um, and it's not even for me so much about playing the thing. You know, like I'll carry the playdate with me in my pocket. It goes in my pocket along with my AirPods. Doesn't take a whole lot of space up. And do I take it out and play it? About one in ten times that I carry it around. Like it's really, it's not that common. It's a, it's a comfort. Is it uncomfortable in a. Po- I haven't put it in a pocket because it. Fe- I mean, women's pockets are terrible, but are, it feels a little. The corners are rounded, but it feels a little sharper. Is it? No, is, I haven't had any hurt? issue. Okay. I mean, you know, yeah. if you can carry a phone in your pocket, it's like that minus half. It's yeah, you know, I've sat mm. on it uh, for extended periods of time without realizing it. Yeah, That's good to fine. know. Yeah, it's it's a very pocketable life. It, it's actually kind of taken over uh, a, a role that was at one time in my life fulfilled by the Game Boy Micro. You know, the, the, this mm. is the the incredibly tiny GBA, and it's it's kind of better. Um, and because of that, you know, I I do dip into it semi frequently, and it's been nice to sort of know it's there, even in days when I'm not going to play it. <laughs> and uh, when it, you know, it, it it it's it's so much more pocketable, so much more portable than a lot of the other game devices I have. It's you know, it's it's, it's such a different thing than like throwing my Steam Deck in a bag or something like that. So, um, so I actually have used it quite a bit. So I, I go into the Playdate um, catalog store every week. Um, the catalog store has been, they've they have really kind of mirrored the approach that Nintendo took with the Wii eShop and some of the other eShop stores in that they, you know, they do like weekly drops on a fixed day of the week. I forget what day of the week it is now, but like you get a little notification on the Playdate device and potentially via your email if you want, and you uh, can go in and see what's new. And uh, every week I go and take a look at what the new games are. And I don't buy one of them every week, but, you know, semi-frequently I'll decide, oh, you know, five bucks for that. That sounds pretty cool. Let me check that out. And I'll play it a couple of times. And sometimes if it's especially good, I'll I'll stick with it. Um, I, I, I thought we could go ahead and just talk a little bit about, I mean, maybe we'll come back to the season one games, but let's talk a little more about some of these catalog games that, that, have, yeah. that have been worth downloading. Um, the first thing I'd mention is that catalog when it first launched, I think very, very, uh, very cutely, they, they launched it with two free games to get people to like set up an account on the catalog store and like figure out how it worked. And those two games were recommendation dog and real steel. Uh, Shane, I think you played a little bit of recommendation dog. Yeah. Uh, recommendation dog is, I mean, it's a very simple puzzle game. Um, you are, I, you are some sort of dog that recommends things to people. um classic and uh i i think the the structure is is supposed to be like a temp agency so uh people will walk through the door in front of you um you're kind of 
visually you're seated at a desk and, um, you know, a, a, a person will, um, appear in your doorway and say like, Hey, I need someone who is a, uh, a great artist. And then you will look down to your Rolodex and using the crank, you will scroll through your Rolodex to find someone from a, from a Rolodex full of these little, uh, person profiles. And, uh, you know, it's a time-based kind of action game. Now, I, I don't know. Action is exactly the right word here, but you're, um, it, it is fast paced cause there's a timer and, um, yeah, it's, I, there's not that much, uh, dog, dog stuff going on in the game cause it's first person. <laughs> so, huh? uh, you are a dog, I believe. Um, but, uh, there is a, there's an option on the main menu that you can click on to bark. Uh, and that is nice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's simple. It reminds me a little bit of, um, guess who, uh, in a way, you know, it, hmm. it, you have people kind of come through the door and, and say, Hey, I, uh, I need someone to, uh, join my cult. Uh, they need to be, uh, dumb and gullible. Uh, <laughs> uh, you like scroll through and you choose somebody. Um, so that's kind of fun. It's, it's like, it's a, bit of a memory game, a bit of a puzzle game. Um, it is fast paced. You can do kind of a high score chase on it. Um, uh, so yeah, wreck dog is a, uh, is a fun one and it's free. So why not? I also really enjoyed the other free game that they, uh, they added. Uh, both of these were from a, I'm not sure if they're a publisher or what the situation is there, but from some, something called from a, um, a developer slash publisher. I'm not sure called sweet baby that released hmm. both of these. And I think they were the same people that did, um, the marbles game from season one, uh, lost your marbles or whatever it was called. Um, yeah. So, uh, Anyway, both of these are, I think, very high in terms of you know, high bars for quality. Um, Real Steel is kind of like a fishing game. I believe uh, we covered a game from Sweet Baby uh, that we ranked very highly as a short game of last year. Uh, and that was Sable. Oh, ah, interesting. Oh, interesting. OK, I didn't realize I didn't put that together. I was going to say that um, that. Um, uh, recommendation dog was directed by uh, Jalavir Nelson, who we've also talked about some of his games on here before. They've they they you know they got some good indie talent on some of this stuff. But uh, the the premise with Real Steel is that like it's a you know it's a future world where ninety nine percent of the world's wealth resides in the mansion fortresses of five billionaires. Wow, ripped from the headlines of today. Right? <laughs> and uh, and you are like a a thief that uses like a a fancy uh, fishing, I don't know, what do you call it? Fishing rod to steal stuff from the the, the wealthy. And um, it's just like, it's it, at first I was like, wow, this is the missing fishing game on the on the play date. But of course, no, it's yeah, not. Yeah, but we kept yelling game. about on the first one. <laughs> There's still not really like a proper like you know, know. 90s style fishing game, which I think is great, actually. I, I love it. Um, but it's it actually reminded me a whole lot in way of um, of like um, drill dozer. It has this sort of same sort of like energy to the, it's got like NPCs that will tell you about like a place where you can steal something. And then, you know, you've got these very cutesy little characters and there there's little dialogue scenes. And then you, you do a little cool uh, kind of mini game where you have to use a, a weird little fishing line thing to 
to drill down into a rich person's mansion and steal their expensive stuff. And it's a really good game, actually. Like, I like this one quite a lot. So the fact that both of these games are available for free on the playdate, you know, as sort of a like extended part of the season one kind of model, I thought was really cool. Uh, and it was a nice kickoff to the catalog store. Um, I've probably bought about 10 or 15 games on the catalog store overall. Um, I'm not going to not going to talk about all of them. Some of them have been kind of like, uh, oh, you know, oh, well, that was neat. I'm kind of done with it. Mm-hmm. But there have been a few that I think are absolutely freaking bangers, like incredible games. Um, and there's really just there's two main ones that I want to absolutely recommend to everybody who owns a Playdate. If you if you want, like I, I I mentioned these very briefly when we did our Game of the Year episode because both of these came out in the last year and were both incredible games that I've been playing a lot of on the Playdate. Um, so apologies if I uh, I've been talking for a while. I'm going to tell you about both Space Rat Miner and Under the Castle, both of which are sort of roguelike-ish kind of games. I hear Space Miner, and I'm like, is Space Rat Miner like Space Miner? <laughs> I don't know. What is Space Miner? What do you mean? Uh, it was a game for uh, iOS that um, back in the day uh, had like a cowboy theme where you were mining ore and upgrading your station. Oh, okay. Not quite. But Space okay. Rat Miner was the first of these that I checked out. And I was very excited about it because it visually it looks a lot like Drill... Um, I'm sorry, not Drill Dozer. I just mentioned that separately. Um, uh, Mr. Driller. It, it visually looks a lot like Mr. Driller. So it's a roguelike take on Mr. Driller or similar kind of drilling games. You are a rat. Uh, so you're on a, you're on a, a, a barren planet. Uh, on the surface of the planet, there's a little building that just clones rats... And you continually, every time you do a run, you are a new cloned rat from the rat cloning facility. And hmm. your rat gets equipped with a little drill and a little spacesuit. And you have to go into the mine. And the mine is a uh, sort of endless column of blocks. Uh, and you have to drill down through the blocks. And there's all sorts of different obstacles and things. So there's some blocks that are easier to drill through or harder to drill through. You have different meters to watch. So you have to keep track of like how much oxygen do you have? Can I collect just like Mr. Driller, you have to collect oxygen little bubbles as you go to try to make sure you have enough air. But also um, you have to make sure you have enough battery in your drill. And so you have to stop periodically to use the crank to power up the rat's drill. Um, but of course, you know, that might happen at a time when you are dealing with other obstacles, like, uh, drilling into an area where there's sudden, uh, spews of, uh, of lava that you have to evade or, uh, little, uh, th- you know, um, boulders that will drop on you if you drill underneath them or other sorts of obstacles, little, uh, eventually little enemies that kind of move around underground. And if you touch them, you will be killed. And, um, it has this sort of roguelike roguelite element where you are over time gaining money as you drill and are uh you know powering up your rat by buying upgrades to things like your drill or the battery pack for your you know or, or your uh, the, the air tanks for your your spacesuit the battery pack for your drill buying additional like heart upgrades so that you can be hit once and not immediately end your run that kind of thing um and I played something like 70 or 80 runs of this so far, like a lot. I played a lot of Space Rat Miner. Um, and um, I'm still not that far. From what I gather, there are four bosses 
and I've only ever gotten through the first boss so far. I'm still in the process of like powering myself up. I've gotten very, very close to getting to the second boss, and that's about as far as I've gotten. Um, so there's a lot more of this to see. The bosses are no great shakes, but still kind of like it's nice to break up the endless drilling with a little boss battle, uh, unless you lose, in which case the bosses are bullshit. Why did they put these in? Um, I really, really like this game. It's um, it's if you've pl- if you're a Mr. Driller lover like I am, this isn't quite the same. It doesn't have the sort of like puzzly element where the the blocks fall and combine and vanish in Tetrisy kind of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has the same, it looks a lot like Mr. Driller. And in, in many ways, it plays a lot like Mr. Driller. But I think combining Mr. Driller or some elements of it with a roguelike is smart as hell and like really I'm awesome. I'm try this out. Yeah, I love it. It's, nice. a, it's a really fun game. And it, this was the first game that made me think, wow, roguelikes are perfect on the playdate. Because, of course, like we've talked about the various reasons for this, but the playdate kind of works best for short sessions. You know, I'm not going to sit down and play my playdate for like three hours, but like playing it for 15 minutes is perfect. And a roguelike is ideal for that because it has that one more play kind of thing. You have a little bit of meta progression with something like this, but but the individual game sessions are short and it's easy to put away when you're done. Love it. And because of that, I immediately thought, wow, I want to play more roguelike type games on the playdate. And so the other game I'm really going to sell people on here, which I think is the best game on the playdate today, um, is Under the Castle. Under the Castle is a very traditional roguelike. You play as a little guy. The art style is great. It's very readable, mm. very cool looking little sprites. Um, the art style sort of vaguely reminds me of like, what if SNESs were one bit color like this? It has that kind of vibe. And um, it is a turn-based roguelike uh, where you have to go into dungeons and collect items. And uh, it's, you know, all the standard trappings of the roguelike genre. Yeah, it has a little real bit... roguelike roguelike. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has first the thing I would say about it is um, in it, it starts you off really easy with just the basics. But I really liked that it opened up. Uh, with your first like three quests, three different dungeons with different objectives mm-hmm. and quests that you can go to. Um, and the uh, the way that you kind of navigate around in those is really simple and reminiscent of the original rogue style games where you're using the D-pad to just move on a grid, uh, bump into enemies to fight with them and um, just, yeah, so it's, it's a very simple, straightforward game. Um, but you get these quests to take you into the different dungeons. I think there's like a crypt. There's a, I forget what they're called there, but um, yeah, it's, it's a simple, straightforward roguelike um, that kind of scales with you. And you kind of always have the option to kind of go to the different dungeons. And if you feel like a little different vibe and um, the art, the, the graphics for it are, really superb um uh, for for something like this everything is very clear and readable on that beautiful little crisp black and white display um i wish we could put a picture of this game up for you because it's the best looking uh game uh of this type uh, one of the things i've had a problem with on some playdate games um is just it, it can not everything artistically works that great uh for me on on the screen which i love the screen but you really have to do a good job of like 
making stuff readable. There's a game that mm-hmm. I really wanted to like that I, I actually think is kind of similar called Ratcheteer. Um, yeah. Ratcheteer is a um, kind of a Zelda-ish adventure game. That, and, you know, I, I thought I'm going to really like this because it has a kind of a light mechanic, right? Where you're you're carrying like a lantern and, and turning your lantern on and off as part of the mechanic of the game. Um, the, the screen is mostly always dark on this one. And that doesn't hmm. actually work that well for me on the play date. Um, the, there's kind of a hint of the screen, um, with a little bit of light poking through with, um, under the castle. It's, it's a very, it's very bright and, uh, things are, things are drawn very lightly with, with very, how would you describe the art style? I think it's very minimal in terms of the, the pixels. Everything's very, very bright and, um, and crisp. It's clearly going for a, uh, I think it's very, it's very much trying to imitate some of the, the Game Boy Zeldas like, um, uh, oh, what's the, uh, like Link's Awakening kind of vibe in mm-hmm. a lot of ways mm. and also in its gameplay. Um, but uh, it, it, it does, Art wise, it's like it does really wish it had those like four gray colors like the, like the mm. Game Boy has, but um, I don't know. I think it's a very pretty game. I think maybe it's uh you know it isn't. I think it I think it looks great. Yeah, um, a, a lot of the games on the play date really rely on dithering um, to make yeah. up for the kind of lack of of grayscale. Um, and under the castle doesn't at all. It's just really nice, crisp black and white, and uh, I think that's my preference. Yeah, uh, under the castle has as is is it blows me away, and I think if this was like just a straight up like here's a uh, you know a roguelike on Steam, I think this would still hold up pretty well. And I think the thing that it does really really well is the missions. You kind of mentioned this, but what I love about it is that um, it, not only does it open up three different dungeons with different playstyles. So one is um, well, kind of to explain the missions thing. Um, each of the different dungeons gives you a series of missions rather than just, you know, like a typical very old school roguelike sending you into the dungeon and saying, go to the bottom and kill the big bad and make your way back out. And, you know, the first time you play that, your your chances of doing that are approximately zero. So you're, you know, you're going to lose 500 times before you win. Um, this game starts you with a mission that says, you know, go into this dungeon and kill one enemy and then the exit will spawn on whatever floor you're on and you can leave. Um, and then, you know, second mission is go in and kill two enemies, right? And each of the three different dungeons has uh, a different play style. So one of them is uh, the missions are all based on killing a certain number of enemies. Another one is collecting a certain number of orbs. These are these items that you can kill enemies or in, find in other ways, and you have to collect a certain number of items. And what is the third one? Off the top of my head, it's it's escaping me. Um, it's like oh, um, freeing prisoners. That one's kind of interesting. You have to like find a key and like free. Yeah. Pri- I haven't done that as much of that one, uh, where you have to like find and free prisoners uh, imprisoned on various levels of the dungeon. So having these different kinds, sort of different play styles and different dungeons is really cool. And the fact that like, you know, it just feels so much more manageable to be like, well, okay, I'm I'm up to the level where I have to kill 10 enemies before my exit will spawn feels so much more fulfilling than, and and of course there's also this element of like, you can find items in the dungeon. And if you 
complete your mission and leave the dungeon, then those items get added to your stock of items that are at the sort of top level of the dungeon that you can choose as your starting loadout. Yeah, there are, um, you can have, I think, like 10 things in yeah. your loadout, but there's 30 different items that I think are in the game. And and um, as you go in, you can pick up one of any of the items that you've collected. In fact, I think you can, if you, I haven't unlocked that many of them, but you can basically fill up your inventory with with stuff mm-hmm. on the way into the dungeon, which is a neat way to do the progression. Yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming that once I beat these three dungeons, that the castle itself is the fourth dungeon. But I'm pretty sure, yeah. We, we haven't gotten there. that far yet. But it's it's more interesting to me than a lot of like retro style roguelikes because it just it does have this sort of like I I like to win better than I like to lose, and having the like you know here's a mission that you can complete you know no matter what level you're at. And having multiple choices of like what style of mission you feel like playing at any given time, that's huge. Um, and so I, I think this is a really, really well done one of these. And, you know, it just it feels really at home on the play date. But the other thing I want to mention about it that I think is just super cute and clever is the the way that it has um, the, the mana system, the magic system in it. Um, you oh, have the hat thing. The hat thing. It's so cute. It has this. Mm. Uh, you have a certain amount of mana. Your, your guy is this like tiny little man in a big sombrero and um it's clearly you have hat, not a sombrero it's, it's right? a sombrero man it looks like a little sombrero to me at that size and so you can um the way that it works is like you undock the crank and then you you do do a half turn clockwise to have the wizard guy slurp up into his hat and fly around like a little ufo in the hat and, um, you know, let's say you have 10 mana, that means you can fly around for 10 moves or turns before you have to pop back out of your hat. And while you're flying around inside your hat, you are invincible and you can cross uh, gaps or pits. Um, so, you know, saving your mana to be able to do that to like cross vital gaps or what have you is great. But just like the the tactile, like it kind of feels like, oh, I'm going to like rotate the crank to like fold up into the hat it's very cute and then you like rotate the crank back again to like you know plop down out of the hat it's so cute it's such a good mechanic i really really like that Uh, so it's it's just such a really well done game i i can't say good enough good things about under the castle i think it's the best game on the play date i think laura and i think you and laura would probably really like demon quest 85 Mm. i i have played it what did you think? Tell did me you, about it, because I only really just scratched the surface of that one. I, I think uh, I booted it up. Are you saying that because it's a it's a point and click on the play date? Are you saying that's why you and Laura would like it? <laughs> I I'm saying that because I think it has elements of the um, uh, Obradin genre uh, that we have yet to fully uh, name. Uh, it's a it's a game where you've got some teenagers who really want to summon uh, the devil to. Um, kind of fulfill their wishes um and you have to and so you can get more popular you keep summoning demons so you can be popular which is amazing Uh i'm I'm already in on the pitch that that's why i played it aesthetically the game is great it has um just really fantastic illustrations of uh of the teenagers and the demons um, and you have to make deals with the demons for what you want. You have to summon the right demon. You have to have the right things prepared, like playing the right music, things like that. Um, and you have to have a really careful reading of your demonic tome 
and of all your um, like descriptions of these various teens and what they want and so on and so forth. It's pretty um, great that I, I love a tonal switch game. And I think mm-hmm. this does a really good balance of like the demons have a very highfalutin, um, very archaic, very grand things. And then you're also reading descriptions of which girl from your biology class you'd rather invite to the summoning circle. And uh, that's the balance that I, I liked a lot. It's like a little bit, um, the reason I said it's like a point and click is because it's got that like puzzle logic of point and click. Um, like the, the, the peanut butter sandwich and the orchid should go together. Of course. Like it has that same kind of leapy logic stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I found that fun. I could see how others would not. I think when I was looking at other reviews of this, it was kind of like people who didn't vibe. Yeah. Um, like I completely get why you wouldn't vibe. I, I do too. And I did not complete this game. I did solve a few of the little, um, you know, summoning circle puzzles. Um, I, I did a, I very much appreciate the vibe of the game. So it, it's, it's something where I think it should be in the conversation. If you have a play date, you probably got season. Can you have a play date without season one? Uh, I no, think everyone has this game. So, um, it, it's, it's worth exploring, uh, if that's your vibe. Um, Actually, speaking of Obra Dinn, there is something very important uh, to discuss uh, on the play date. Um, yes. And, and that is, uh, is the guy's name Lucas Pope that did uh, Obra yes. Dinn? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lucas Pope has a game coming for the play date mm-hmm. um, that has been under development for a while. And it's called um, something about Mars. Uh, hang Mars on, After find... Midnight. Yeah. Mars After Midnight. Mars After Midnight uh, has been under development for quite a while, but it's been, I mean, he, one of the interesting things is, is um, I, I saw his dev log for this like six months ago. Um, and, you know, he was showing some of his progress on the game. Um, it looks fun and funny and fabulous. Um but that said, when I went and checked his dev log for this again recently, it looks like he hasn't done much on it in the intervening like six months ish. So um, it it appears that he is working on other projects, including porting Papers Please to mobile devices, which is probably a very um, you know uh, lucrative and sure thing approach for him, rather than spending a lot of time creating a a tiny bespoke black and white uh martian freak illustration um, i mean but the premise is that you run a community center for martians and i think that sounds great um i hope this exists and i can get my paws on it um it must i hope at that time i played enough season one games that i can feel (laughs) totally it's a lucas pope game i'm buying it day one no matter how guilty i feel let's be real i have no patience um (laughs) It's like my, yeah, my it, like you just exactly do the it. kind of thing where they can probably get me to pay like 12 bucks or whatever for, for a play date game. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, can I talk a little bit about some of the games I was playing back in season one? We never got to talk about like, sure, sure. Um, I will say that, um, one I enjoyed a lot, but I don't have much to say about a spell court because it's basically witch cooking mama. Um, <laughs> 
it, it is. Like you're making potions. It's got that mini game thing. I didn't know the Playdate had an accelerometer until it was like tilt to pour the potion. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this has an accelerometer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've played any games that really use the, I know it's in there, but like I've not used anything that, that used it. Yeah, they have you tilt it to the side when you when you uh-huh. finish your potion to pour it in the vial before you ship it to your clients. Um, uh, it does when you start it up. I got a little nervous because you know how games that are like humorous chat a ton at the beginning of the game and you don't know if it's ever going to calm down. Mm-hmm. Like it was very noisy. Like your cat was talking to you. You were had comments on everything. Um, I eventually like it did calm down. Um, I did enjoy it. I think it's, it, it's also good for short sessions. Like they're separated into days. Even if you don't do the potion, right, you get rewarded. Like it seems very much in that cozy. There's no fail state thing. Uh, spell court is just like a very good time of that. It, it reminds me of the cocktail bar games. I would play a lot on iOS. My, <laughs> Um, the weird anime cocktail bar simulator <laughs> game that I played that I would learn. I actually learned. Oh, I remember recipes. that. Uh, what was that called? Man, I remember exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, those don't you cannot get those games for love and money. Don't even try to to Google them, folks. You'll just be sad. Um, but it, it the mechanics feel like that, except I'm not learning actual recipe proportions <laughs> that I can take back to my home bar because um, it's all spells. But I, I like like that felt very different in that it was a simulator game than a lot of the other very tactical action games I was playing. Did either of you pick up Soul Corked? I, I, uh, I dabbled in it briefly, but um, mm-hmm. it was not one of the season one games I spent much time with. That's totally fair. The ones that I did spend the most time with um, were probably Zipper and Snack. Um, mm. And part of this was probably just because they were both you know, games by big name indie devs. Um, Zipper is by Bennett Foddy and Snack is by Zach Gage. Um, I I, I spent the most time with Snack, so I guess I'll start with that one. Snack is... I played a lot of that one. I've played so much of Snack. Uh, Snack is Snake. Uh, If you have played a Snake game on any device at any point, you know what Snake is and how it works. And this is one of those. Um, But it is, first of all, pretty fast paced for a snake game. And secondly, it adds a very crucial mechanic, which is a jump button. Uh, This is a snake game where you can jump. And if you land on your own back, you can kind of like, it's hard to describe it as anything other than grinding. It feels kind of like, like you can, you can, you're a snake that can grind on its own back, Tony Hawk style. Um, It's incredible. Also failed to mention one of the ways that um, it is different from the original snake, which is it's kind of a sequel in that this is the revenge of the apples uh, because the apples from the original snake game are now attacking you. Yes, um, that's true. they <laughs> that's have true. a li- they have little mouths. They come in from the side of the screen uh, trying to bite you. Um, and if they bite you, they slowly crawl their way up towards the snake's head um, and then if they get to the snake's head, you lose. Yes. So, mm-hmm. But um, if they are on your body, you can jump onto your body and then sort of grind along you your can, own back in order to you can eat, eat them, them off, off your, your own back. back. It's rad. Oh, so good. <laughs> and it has multiple levels. Uh, like, you know, there's a there's snack 
there's S-N-A-K, there's S-N-A-A-K, there's S-N-A-A-A-K, et cetera. There's different sort of levels that mostly affect how fast, you know, the, the game moves. Um, I don't know about you guys. My um, my high score for the base level snack game is something like 200. Let me check. Um, and I was pretty happy with that score. But the online, yeah, 194. Um, but the online leaderboards are freaking absurd, man. Like, this is a game that like at one point I was like 36th best and I was very proud of myself. And that is no longer the case. The, the numbers are really up there. Um, so it is a game that you can absolutely get really, you know, really advanced at. I loved it. The other game I was going to mention briefly is, is zipper by Bennett Foddy. Um, Bennett Foddy that, you know, famously of like getting over it and uh, a bunch of other strange games. Quop soon uh, to be that weird baby one. Oh, yeah, Baby steps, yeah. which the, I uh, am yeah. looking forward to next year. The true um, walking simulator. Uh, can't wait. Um, yes. But yeah, he he made a game that's very unusual for him. It's a it's a uh, sort of ZX Spectrum uh, style uh, um, isometric puzzle game, uh, puzzle action game, turn based thing where you are playing as a absurdly fast swordsman. Um, if you so like it's it's played on a grid, uh, it's uh, it's set in a sort of um, I don't know what you call the the like you know uh, it's like a samurai. black and white samurai movie kind of kind of vibe, mm-hmm. and um, it's all about setting getting yourself in position so that you can do these like ultra fast like you know the moment in samurai movies where the the swordsman runs past the bad guy and slices him up so quickly that he doesn't realize he's dead until he turns around and falls apart you know that kind of that kind of like trope that's what mm-hmm. this game is basically it's about it, it, moving on a grid uh, in a turn-based manner where you're trying to set yourself up to do these like fast slashes and and you know destroy your opponents before they can kill you and um and it takes place in a really big complex you're sort of like storming a like samurai type of complex killing a bunch of people on your way in i haven't beat this one because it's actually it's balls hard um there's uh there's walkthroughs and stuff out there for this one and uh, and you really need them if you're going to actually complete it probably um but it is really cool it might be i think the most unique uh game in season one uh i i I really really like this one and the only reason i haven't beaten it i spent a long time playing it the only reason i haven't beaten it is that it it is extraordinarily hard and once you die you have to start over and so i i you know i played a lot of hours of it but i never quite quite got all the way there but i really really like it so i think if you happen to have you know skipped zipper for one reason or another it's maybe one of the best things in season one no, that's something I have to go back to. I I can't stop playing O Maze, which is the little like, it's a maze where you go through circles. So a maze of O's. <laughs> um, honestly, I picked it up because people were saying like it's one of the games that use the crank the most, and it is a crank heavy game. But I really found it almost meditative. Like it's got just a bit of like dexterity, but you get to feel a little bit puzzly. Like, um. Another one that is uh, more of a toy game, but the levels were pretty different. Like there are a lot of levels in that thing. I I don't know how far y'all got, but that was one of my best pick up and plays is navigating through 
just a series of weird black and white circles. This game also looks terrible in screenshots. It's one of the worst looking games in screenshots. It just looks like a bunch of Target logos. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't played this one at all. It didn't look that, that appealing to me, but I'm glad to hear this more it too. It looks like garbage, but if you watch like a quick video of someone playing, um, it it really is quite fun. And I think it's it's that um, the thing is because you're navigating through circles and some are moving and not. It's like going through a bunch of cogs. You're like constantly switching direction and like you're navigating as a little circle inside a bunch of other circles. So it is, um, you know, when you're doing a bunch of quick turns in a game and you suddenly like find yourself confusing right and left, you start doing that with a crank and being like, no, not backwards. I meant to go forwards. And, and that's the kind of um, self-induced panic that I like in a puzzle game that's actually almost a dexterity game. So Omaze is a really good hidden gem. I think it's underrated because it's because um, it looks bad. I mean, I, I, I get it. Minimalist is a style, but it looks like a it's just a circle with an eye in it. And I didn't touch it until someone told me it was a puzzling game. Mm. Um, can I oh, I also have a stupid wreck from sideloading. Sure. Um I uh, encourage folks to look at France Horn, which is a game that someone has made a French horn that you can play, but it loops around on itself infinitely while you play games and you use the crank. It's like a theremin. You play the play date like a theremin with the crank. And there's a gif of a man playing a French horn, but it is spiraled like 30 times more than it should. And you are just wrote. It's like a Monty Python image. I've seen this. This is so funny. I didn't actually download it, but it looks incredible. It's totally free. You crank the brass is what they say. And it is. Totally free, very easy to sideload. Um, it is, I still don't have a fishing game, and yet I have a French horn Monty Python simulator. <laughs> yeah. I've really <laughs> appreciated it, uh, the sideload feature on the Playdate. It's been really nice to be able to grab things from Itch or whatever, you know, as people release them. And it, you know, like I, I feel good about like spending 99 cents or whatever on itch.io and grabbing some weird little thing like a French horn simulator. My favorite sideload played game that I've played in the last little while, and this is um, uh, this is a a bit of a cheat because it it it's a port of a game that kind of went viral on the web. Um, did either of you happen to see a few weeks ago? Um, there was like a Hacker News article about a game called Paku Paku. A, a developer, a J- Japanese sort of indie developer, just released this thing on uh, GitHub. And somebody posted it to Hacker News. And then I saw it on like waxy.org, like Andy Bayo's blog. And it sort of went everywhere, um, at least in the corners of the internet that I'm in. And it is a one-dimensional Pac-Man. Did you happen to see this? Mm-hmm. It's no. such oh, a funny, clever idea. I, I, I played one kill pl- the one-kill Pac-Man, but I don't know. One-dimensional Pac-Man I have not played. What if all I sideload are Pac-Man games? I know. <laughs> and the French Horn Simulator and Sudoku. Like, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> So imagine Pac-Man, except instead of a maze, it is a single hallway. It is a single, a single sort of stripe across the screen. It ma- it wraps left to right, and there's just one hallway. Your Pac-Man, there is one super pellet and one ghost in this hallway, and your goal is to 
try to get that pellet and eat the ghost or, or eat the pellet, you know, eat the, eat the, dots. the world still wrap around. It does. That's the, that's right. what, that's the saving grace. Um, it's very fast paced. It is, it is taking Pac-Man already a fairly minimal game and, and making it as minimal as you can possibly imagine. And if you search this like Paku Paku, you know, one dimensional Pac-Man or whatever, like you can play the like original GitHub version of this on your phone. Uh, like it's a, it's a single button, like tap to reverse kind of thing. Um, but somebody made a Playdate port of this and it's perfect on the Playdate. Uh, it's, it's an excellent Playdate port. It feels 100% exactly like the web version. And uh, it's a great game on the Playdate. So I would recommend that. And because it's like a port of a game that was already free, of course, the developer of this made it free. You can get it on itch and sideload it very easily. Um, I've seen a lot of ports of little like games like that. I saw there's a really good port of um, we talked about um, a game called uh, Combo Pool when we did the Pico 8 episode. And there's a really good uh, Playdate port of Combo Pool called Combi Pool. Oh, I, um, I'm going to get that. I loved Combo Pool. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Like, th- this is something I've, I, there's been a lot of this is like little, like ports of little games to the play date. Uh-huh. And most of these end up on itch. Um, and the fact that like, you know, you can grab these things for free or a couple of bucks on itch and sideload them on your play date has been a big, you know, a big plus for the device for me. So all things considered, the Playdate is definitely still a part of my gaming life. It's you know, it's not like replaced any devices, but it's filled some weird little cracks and and niches in my uh, in my like game playing life that uh, you know it continues to do two years on, and it's it's also like easier to get now than it ever was. Uh, you know when we were first talking about the Playdate, it kind of felt a little absurd because it was like. Hey, we got our playdates because we pre-ordered them within 15 minutes of them going on sale. Mm-hmm. And if you want one now, you can get it six to 12 months from now. Why don't you go do that? Um, but now, like, you can go on Panic's website and get a playdate, and it ships this month. Uh, I don't know exactly what the timeline is, but it's like much more like buying a thing in a way that you would expect. The price did go up just a tiny bit. I think it's now 200 or not, you know, 199 or something like that. I think when we bought it, it was like 20 bucks cheaper. Um, that's just due to you know inflation and other factors, but but like they've had some minor under the hood hardware revisions to keep the thing in stock and to continue to be able to like uh, get the the silicon that they need. Um, you know they've had a number of really major uh, like software updates. The thing's continuing to be supported by Panic, continuing to be supported by its community of indie developers. Uh, and there's still new games dropping on the catalog store every week between like three and eight new games on the play date every week, which is wild. And I'm still checking in on that thing all the time. So I, I'm really pleased to say that like the play date is continues to be a thing. And um, I, I still recommend I know that 200 bucks is not nothing. And, you know, with 200 bucks, you're like halfway to a Steam Deck or something. And it's, it's you know, it's a lot of money for something. That's 200 be... bucks, including 24 games. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Including 24 games and, um, you know, access to uh, access to the, the store with exclusives. Like everything on this thing is exclusive. Here's something else. You should know if you're shopping for a play date, if you're if you're on the, the fence here. I looked into this a little while ago. Um <clears throat> The play date is uh, routinely goes for in the neighborhood of about 150 bucks on eBay used. Mm-hmm. And if you purchase a used play date, when you set it up with a new account and activate it for the first time, 
you get season one. So the the games of season one are not tied to the account of the first purchaser or anything like that. You're you're in there for the full uh, season of games. So, I, you know, That's you can. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm looking at uh, I went back and Googled just now um, 140 bucks, um, you know, shipped uh, is some of the recent sold comps on eBay. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think this is a great piece of hardware to be just keeping an eye on uh, 200 bucks was a little steep when I first signed up to buy the thing, uh, especially considering I had to wait for like a year to actually get it in my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, 200, you know, 200 bucks ain't worth what it used to be. Uh, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is 200 bucks in uh, it was 20 April of 2022 uh, that the play date was released, which uh, those those 200 bucks go a little farther these days. So mm-hmm. um, or don't go as far these days, I should say. One one tip I'll say um I bought the playdate without its accompanying magnetic case and really regretted it and eventually had to wait a long time and bought the case separately. Um, I would recommend the case. I think the case is a like integral part of the device uh, for me, at least being able totally to disagree. Have little... I really don't get it. Uh... Oh, really? For me, like <laughs> yeah. I, I love the little case. It magnets on it magnets closed when I stick it in my pocket. You know, it can go in there along with like my I don't put it in with my keys or whatever, but it goes in with my AirPods and, you know, I, I feel pretty secure about it. And I don't have to have like a bulky, like padded thing to stick it in. It can just go in my pocket. Whereas I don't think I would feel comfortable with that without it. So I do really recommend uh, if you are buying the thing, uh, go ahead and spend the extra 20 bucks and get the case. And also I've been really pleased. I put a, I put a little like dorky lanyard on my play date and that has also mm-hmm. helped a lot with the experience. So um, I, I uh, that was like a, you know, a $1 Amazon purchase. So I really recommend, you know, doing a little bit of basic accessorizing on the play date makes the experience a little better. Um, but yeah, I totally recommend folks get it. And um, if you uh, if you have any thoughts about the play date or if you have specific uh, play date, especially like sideload games or games on the catalog that we may not have checked out that you've enjoyed on your play date, uh, let us know. Like I, I don't think that we're probably going to end up at the place where we're like, talking about like a play date game as like the weekly game that we talk about on the short game but you never know like lucas popes (laughs) yeah honestly maybe lucas popes we might we might do that um but like it's still something that i think you know i i play it all the time i'm i still love to chat about it so uh and you know it's funny like people still don't know what the play date is like i got my i I brought mine on my trip to puerto rico recently and like brought it out at a was sitting at a bar waiting and like had like three people ask me about it and ask to hold it it's just one of those things that like people haven't seen it you know lots of folks don't know about the play date and are really interested in it when they see it so i think it still has like a potential market or audience that it hasn't reached yet so um so Listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, You can find us on the internet at shortgame.fm. That is our website. We've got all the links and buttons there, including a link to our Patreon. All of our patrons get instant access to our Discord community, which is where we talk about the game. We talk about the playdate, if you want to talk about the playdate. We talk about uh, upcoming games on the show and announce what's coming up. We take uh, recommendations of games from our listeners. Our Recommend a Game channel is easily my favorite thing about doing this podcast because people constantly are dropping in there to tell us about new games that are coming out tell each other about new games that are coming out or that they've played that they think sort of fit the short game vibe it's a really great hang 
Um, so join us there. We would love to have you. Uh, you can also find uh, me on the internet at Reagan, R-A-Y-G-A-N dot me. And that's just my website, but it has like links to all of my socials and everything. If you want to find me on Mastodon or wherever else. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? Uh, you can generally find me on places, Laura J. Nash, uh, especially Blue Sky and Mastodon, Laura J. Nash at bird.rodeo. And Shane, where can people find you? Find me on uh, on Mastodon at Shane at bird.rodeo. And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>